Everyone is looking for contentment, but it seems to elude most people. We may be happy and feel secure temporarily, but when circumstances change, our contentment vanishes. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources at our website, Radical.net. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, the Apostle Paul shares the secret of contentment, and he does it all from a prison cell. In today's message, David Platt points us to the kind of contentment that doesn't change with circumstances, the contentment that can only be found in Christ. This is part one in our search for the secret of contentment. I've been studying this text all week long that we're about to dive into, and I have been waiting for this moment because this word we're about to look at is so good and has such rich application for our lives, especially right now. So today I want to show you a secret. So those of you who are kids, or if you can remember being a kid, like when your friend said, I have a secret to tell you, you listened up, like you wanted to know what nobody else knew. Well, today, I have a secret to tell you, something most people don't know. And the reason I'm using the word secret is because that's the word God uses in what we're about to read. So this is Not like me saying or your friends saying, I have a secret to tell you. This is the God of the universe saying to you and to me in the next few minutes, I have a secret to tell you. Something that not everybody else knows. So when God is telling you a secret, you stop whatever you're doing and you listen. So let's do that. Let's stop whatever we're doing, whatever else we may be thinking about in our lives right now, and let's listen to the secret. So let's read this chapter that we've been studying, memorizing. We're gonna say it out loud together like we've been doing every week. If you're memorizing it, just close your eyes or don't look at the screen. But let's say this together in this room and wherever you might be right now out loud. We'll go from Philippians chapter four, verse one, Philippians chapter four, verse one to verse 13. So let's say it together in this room, in our homes, wherever we are, whoever we're with, let's let's hear the word of God and specifically when we get to the end, hear the secret. Here we go. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, did you see it? There at the end of this passage, it says, I have learned the secret. So there it is. God says, here's the secret of being content. So what we're gonna do over the next two weeks, because there's no way we can cover all this this week. We're gonna have two parts here. I'm gonna totally leave you hanging at the end of today um, because we would be really rushing over good stuff if we tried to do it all today. So today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna see what the secret is. So what is the secret? What is contentment? Then next week, Lord willing, we're gonna learn how to get it because that's what Paul is saying here in the Bible. He's saying, I have learned to be content. I know how. I know how. In every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned. I can do. So next week, we're going to ask the question, like, how can we learn this? How can we know how to do this? And how can we do this secret, experience it in our lives? Now, even before we dive into part one on the secret of contentment, I want to at least mention one significant side note from verse 10. So this is like bonus content here, in addition to the secret of contentment. So we have the main meal coming, but this is gonna be like a really juicy appetizer on the house. So verse 10 says, Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So just a reminder here that Paul, who's writing the book of Philippians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is in prison as he's pinning these words. He's in prison for proclaiming the gospel. So for those of you, friends, family members, any number of people who are watching who are not yet Christians, 
The gospel is the good news of God's love for the world in Jesus. So the Bible teaches that all of us have sinned against God. We have all turned from God's ways to our own ways. And as a result of our sin, we are separated from God. And we deserve judgment before God. Eternal judgment when we die. But the good news is that God loves us and God has come to us in the person of Jesus who lived a perfect life with no sin and then chose to die on a cross for our sin, to pay the penalty, death, for your sin and my sin so that anyone, anywhere who turns from their sin and themselves, their ways to trust in Jesus to save them from their sin, you can have eternal life with God starting right now. So this is the gospel. And for those of you who are watching from home or other places, like you can see on the screen right now, uh, a number to text, just text Jesus to. That number at any point, if you want to know more about what it means to have eternal life through Jesus, I've prayed that many people would text that number today. If you don't know Jesus, like don't wait another second. Text that number, it'll be sitting there on the screen throughout the service to remind you. The point in what we're reading though is that Paul, who's writing this book, was proclaiming this gospel in the first century. He was thrown into a Roman prison because of it. And the way Roman prisons worked, the prisoners were dependent on outside support for everything they needed. They needed people from outside to bring them food, clothing, anything else they would have. And here in verse 10, Paul says, he rejoiced in the Lord. Why? Because they had revived their concern for him. You jump down to Philippians chapter four, verse 18, and Paul says, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So the Christians in Philippi had sent Paul gifts to support him in prison. And in the language Paul uses, so this is the bonus content here, I just want you to see two critical ingredients for Christian generosity. We're gonna hit these really quick, but I wanna, I wanna show you these and then show you why this bonus content is really helpful, particularly in light of all that's going on around us right now. So the first ingredient for Christian generosity is an open heart, an open heart. So twice in Philippians chapter, two, Philippians chapter four, verse 10, Paul uses that word concern to say how grateful he is for their concern for him. You've revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me. It's interesting. That same word that's translated concern in Philippians chapter four, back in Philippians chapter one, verse seven, when Paul wrote, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, when he uses that word feel, it's actually the same word that's translated concern in Philippians chapter four, verse 10. So basically Paul says to these Philippian Christians, you have been on my heart and now it's encouraging to know that I am on your heart. You've revived your concern for me. So Christian generosity involves hearts that are open to see people who are in need around you. Or maybe people in need who are far from you, as Paul was far from these Philippian Christians. Christian generosity starts with an open heart, but that's not where it stops. 
Christian generosity also involves open hands. Christian generosity involves both an open heart and open hands. Paul says, you were indeed concerned about me, but you had no opportunity. So it had been in a while. He even uses the word, uh, sorry, come back to, you know what? I'm gonna do something real quick. I am going to reset this a bit. All right, so come back to, he said, you have revived your concern. I gotta mess up the number. At length for me. So it had been a while since he had shown this concern, for, since they had shown this concern for Paul. We don't know why, but they didn't have opportunity in the past. But now, whatever has changed, they have opportunity. And so that leads to this second critical part of Christian generosity, open hands. Now they are able to help Paul in ways that they were not able to help before. So why is this so important? In the middle of a pandemic, God is calling us to be generous people with open hearts and open hands to the extent that we have opportunity. To the extent that you or I have opportunity, God is calling in Philippians chapter four, verse 10, you and me to be generous individually, in our families, as a church family, not to hoard the resources we have, but to have open hearts that lead to open hands. Now obviously some, some of you are being furloughed or laid off during this time, and you may have an open heart, but you may not have opportunity like you have in the past, and that's okay, that's part of what Philippians 4.10 is saying. But to the extent that we do have opportunity, brothers and sisters, let's be a people of open hearts and open hands. And one of the reasons I didn't want to skip over this is because I want to pause and praise God for this kind of generosity in our church over the last five months in the middle of a pandemic. By God's grace, you have continued to give. Even in the middle of all the challenges going on, and as a result of your giving, there are many people who have been able to rejoice in the Lord greatly because of your open hearts and open hands. And from the very first week of this shutdown, we as a church said, we are not gonna go into hiding during this time. We're gonna go into our city into communities most hard hit by economic challenges and we're gonna go with physical resources, namely food, along with the gospel. And over the last five months, because of your generosity, we have spent about $1.5 million delivering about three million pounds of food to vulnerable communities across our city with the gospel. And I just wanna say, I rejoice greatly in the Lord to see your open heart and your open hands. So let's continue. As long as we have opportunity, let's continue to give to the glory of our God with hearts for people right around us and far from us. So that then leads into verse 11, where Paul quickly makes a clarification about what he just said in verse 10. So he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
This is really interesting. Paul wants to be clear, like he's very grateful for their gift, but it's not the gift that makes him content. Like he wants to make sure that's really, really clear. That what leads into this secret that he's learned is not getting more stuff. So we're starting to see, all right, what is the secret of contentment? We have to know what it is before we know how to, how to get it, how to learn it and have it and know it and do it. So I want to go ahead and give you a definition of contentment. You might write it down. And so I'm going to let you in on the secret right now. And then I want to show it to you in God's word. So here it is. Contentment is the sweet inward state of perpetual joy Peace, gentleness, and strength in every moment, regardless of our circumstances. I say that again. Contentment, according to God, according to the Bible, what I'm about to show you is the sweet inward state of perpetual joy, peace, gentleness, and strength in every moment, regardless of our circumstances. I just look at that and think, do I want that? I think that's a pretty good secret. A sweet inward state, like it's inside of you, of perpetual, never-ending, constant joy and peace and gentleness and strength in every single moment of your life, regardless of what happens around you, to you, anywhere, to anyone. Now, that sounds like no way. There's no way that's real. There's no way that is possible. And that's kind of the way the secrets work, right? Like somebody whispers something in your ear and you're like, no, no way. They're like, yeah, it's true. That's what God is saying right now. Like we're reading this, we're like, no way. He's like, yes. This is truth. Like, this is possible for you, for me on this earth. Paul just said it. He said, I have it. I, I have this. I know this. I have this. I can do this. I am doing it in prison. This state of perpetual joy, peace, gentleness, and strength. And I use those words because that's the whole context of Philippians 4, what we've been reading, studying, memorizing together. Remember, What we've read, going back to Philippians chapter four, verse four, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is about joy. Paul's talking about perpetual joy. Always joy here. Perpetual, constant, never-ending joy. Then he says, verse five, the Lord is... He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And we talked about, Mike showed us how reasonableness there is a gentleness, even in the face of injustice, like Paul is facing So you have this perpetual joy, gentleness, and peace. We've talked about this in contrast to anxiety over the last couple weeks in verses six and seven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is what Philippians 4 is all about. Joy and gentleness and peace. And we know that Paul hasn't moved on from these things when he starts talking about contentment in verse 11 because Paul's still using the same words in verse nine. He says, the God of peace will be with you. We looked at that last week. 
And then verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord. Same exact phrase that he used in verse four. So clearly Paul is still talking about peace and joy. The only thing different now is that he adds something. In verse 13, he adds, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we have strength here. He summarizes the secret of contentment. So we're gonna get to that more next week. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. But he's talked about joy in the Lord, peace from the Lord, gentleness from the Lord. Now he had strength in the Lord. This is not the only way, the only time he talks this way. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. First Timothy chapter one, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength. Who's done it? Christ Jesus our Lord. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Second Timothy chapter four, verse 17. The Lord stood by me and did what? He strengthened me. So the Bible here is talking about a sweet inward state of perpetual joy, peace, gentleness, and strength. That's why using those words, and I use the words sweet inward state because, now this is so key, so there's something else you might write down. According to God, contentment comes from inside of us, not outside of us. And that's what Paul is really wanting to clarify here in response to their gift. Like he wants them to know he's grateful for their generosity. At the same time, he wants to be clear. Like I am not content, not content because of your gift, because I was content without your gift. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Then he starts to get specific. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. He says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The point is, my contentment is not dependent on any one of those things. Like, did you see the rep repetition? In whatever situation I'm in, in any and every circumstance, and then he lists the entire spectrum, when I'm low, when I'm abounding, when I'm facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This is so significant. Paul is saying, like, my joy, my peace, my gentleness, my strength are not dependent on any of those things. See it. So maybe write this down. Another way to put this. Contentment is completely free from dependence on circumstances. Contentment is completely free from dependence on circumstances. And this is so significant because this is so different than the way we think about contentment. At least naturally. Let's just be honest with each other. When things around us are going wonderful, we are content people. But when things are going miserable, we are miserable people. Because our contentment so often hinges on, revolves around our circumstances. But that's not actually contentment. Picture it this way. Picture a baby crying because they're hungry. 
or they need you to change them. And you come and feed them or come and change them and they stop crying. Now they're content. Why? Because their circumstances changed. Picture a child complaining because they want something. And then you give in and give it to them and they stop complaining. Now they're content. Why? Because their circumstances changed. And that's the way we think about contentment. If only our circumstances changed, we would be content. If things would get better, we would be content. But that's not contentment. Contentment is completely free from any dependence on circumstances. Paul's saying, when I'm brought low or abounding, I'm content. When I'm facing plenty or hunger, I'm content. When I'm facing abundance or need, I'm content. My contentment is completely free from dependence on circumstances. So maybe it would help to pause here and make this personal to our lives right now. So the Bible is talking here about a contentment that does not hinge on how long this pandemic lasts. If it lasts another month or another year or another five years, we can be content. The Bible's talking here about a contentment that is not dependent on our economy. If our economy rebounds, we will be content. If our economy tanks, we will be content. The Bible's talking here about a contentment that's not dependent on health. There is a way to live such that if you are healthy, you are content. And even if you are sick, with severe disease, from COVID to cancer or anything in between, you are content. The Bible's talking here about a contentment regardless of circumstances this fall. Virtual school the whole year, in-person school, some combination, doesn't matter, you're content. If you have a job, you're content. If you don't have a job, you're content. If adoptions open back up, you're content. If adoptions stay closed indefinitely, you're content. The Bible's talking about a contentment here regardless of circumstances in life. If you're single, you're content. If you're married, you're content. If you have kids, you're content. If you don't have kids, you're content. If you get into the school or you get that promotion, you are content. If you don't get either, you are content. If you're in prison or you're free, it doesn't matter, you're content. Do you see how revolutionary this is? Now, I wanna be really clear. This is not to say that all these things I just mentioned are unimportant or that they don't affect our lives. That's part of the point. All of these things do affect our lives. So this is not about pretending like everything is perfect in life when it's not. So it's not about ignoring hurt and heartache and pain and disappointment and grief that are real. 
This is not about denying struggles and suffering in this world. Don't forget, Paul is languishing in prison as he's writing this. In another letter, he describes how he has experienced countless beatings, often been near death. Five times, he says, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Needless to say, the Bible is not talking here about a superficial Pollyanna approach to life that pretends like everything is easy when it's not. But that's the beauty. That's the secret. There is a way to have perpetual joy, peace, gentleness, and strength in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the hurt, in the middle of the heartache, in the middle of the grief and the disappointment. There is a contentment to be found that is completely free from dependence on circumstances. Don't you want this? Don't you want an inward state of perpetual joy and gentleness and peace and strength in whatever situation you are in? Now, the danger here is that you might start to think, Okay, so let me make sure I get this straight. Contentment is completely free from dependence on circumstances. And we saw contentment comes from inside of us, not outside of us. So you might start to think, all right, so I need to look inside me and just muster up this contentment on my own. This is why people resort to the self-help power of positive thinking, quote unquote, that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Because people start to think that the secret then it's self-talk and self-esteem and self-confidence and self-worth and self-focus and self-sufficiency. But please hear loud and clear, that is not contentment. That is conceit. Self-focus in any way is pride. And this is one of the things that is so fascinating about this passage. So you've got to see this because now we're getting to the heart of this secret. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, when Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So the word there for content, I'm going to write it out, kind of how it would be transliterated into English is autarkes. And you're like, why are you telling us this? Here's why. So it's basically a combination of two words in the original language of the New Testament in the Greek. So the first word is alta, which is from which we would get auto, as in autonomous. Like it's about the self. That's what that first word is. It's about self. And in the second part, our case, is basically summarized as a word that means sufficiency. So the picture of this word is self-sufficiency. 
Like this is a word, autarkes, that Greek philosophers would have used to describe self-sufficiency, which makes you wonder, why is the Bible using that word right there? Because the Bible clearly teaches only God is ultimately self-sufficient, right? Like think about it. No one and nothing in this world is ultimately self-sufficient. You are not self-sufficient. I am not self-sufficient. The only reason we have breath in our lungs right now is because God has put it there. The only reason your heart is beating at this moment is because God is giving it rhythm. And as soon as he stops, so do you. Me. You and I are dependent on food, on water, on so many things that ultimately God alone can provide. And everything else in creation is the same way. We are all dependent on God, our creator. And only he is ultimately self-sufficient. God does not need us to survive. We need him to survive. This is actually crystal clear. And then very next chapter of the Bible, so right after uh, Philippians chapter four and Colossians chapter one, the Bible tells us about Jesus as God is the self-sufficient creator who holds all things together. I want you to listen to this. So hang with me here because we're now we're starting to get to the heart of the secret. Listen to Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Talking about Jesus, the Bible says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Did you hear that? Jesus is the only self-sufficient being in the universe. God, Jesus is God, only self-sufficient being in the universe. He is the image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created, including you and me. We're a part of all things. We have been created through him and for him, and in him we hold together. In other words, we are not self-sufficient. We are totally dependent on Jesus, every single one of us. Even if you hate Jesus right now, your very breath comes from the one you hate. None of us is self-sufficient. So why then would Paul, the same guy who writes Colossians chapter one, verse 17, about the self-sufficiency of Christ alone, how we're all dependent on Christ, why would he then say in chapter four, verse 11, like, I have learned the secret to being content, to being self-sufficient. See this, don't miss this. If you only read verse 11, you're like, Paul, what in the world, bro? This goes against everything the Bible says. This goes against that which is true in the universe. Really, like the key to perpetual joy and peace and gentleness and strength is self-sufficiency? But then you keep reading. And Paul says, and any 
and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. And what's the secret? Verse 13, I can do all things by myself? No. I can do all things through myself. No, I can do all things through my strength, through my efforts to muster up joy and peace and gentleness. No, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The word for through there is not 100% sure why it's translated through here because it's most often in the Bible translated in. I can do all things in him. And who's the him? Oh, see it. The him is the self-sufficient creator of all, Christ, who lives in me. (laughs) The one who is before all things, in whom all things hold together, he is dwelling in me. Which means that in any and every circumstance, in whatever situation, I have, guess what, living in me. I have the joy of Jesus dwelling in me. In any circumstance, whatever situation, I have the peace of Jesus living inside of me. I have the gentleness of Jesus living inside of me. In whatever situation, whatever circumstance, I have the strength of the creator of the universe inside of me. And no circumstance can take that away from me. Single or married, Kids or no kids, adoption or no adoption, school or no school, job or no job, health or sickness, pandemic or no pandemic. I have Christ in me, therefore I am content. See it, contentment does not come from independence. Contentment comes from total dependence upon Christ. This is the secret. This is the secret to an inward state of perpetual joy and peace and gentleness and strength in every moment, regardless of your circumstances. Jesus is the secret. Christ in you. Which which makes sense, right? Go back to the gospel. If the core of our sin is asserting independence from God, right? Right? That's the core of sin is independence, saying, I can do this apart from you. I don't need you. My ways are better than your ways. Just leave me alone. That's sin. That's what separates us from God forever until we realize that God is perpetual joy and God is perpetual peace and gentleness and strength. Those things are only found in God. So we come back to him. How? By his grace through Jesus. Through what Jesus has done on the cross for you and for me. And through faith in him, we are reconciled to God. To experience in him, in God, perpetual joy and peace and gentleness and strength. Unending joy 
all-surpassing peace, unexplainable gentleness, supernatural strength in a way that transcends, supersedes any and every circumstance in this world. Like, do you want that? Do you want contentment in your life? Then it starts with looking to Jesus as your life. If you want contentment in your life, you must look to Jesus as your life. And this is where, like, I so want to jump into part two. Because, all right, so how do we do that? What does that mean? But we don't have time, so you're going to have to come back next week for that. We're just going to go to a whole other level. We're going to see how to get, how to live this secret. But even as we look forward to next week, like I was thinking as I was praying earlier this morning, like not one of us is guaranteed to be alive next week. Just reality. So I want to ask every single person listening today, like right now in this moment, do you know Jesus as your life not just you know some truths about Jesus. Not even just you believe some truths about Jesus. Demons believe truths about Jesus. Do you know Jesus as your life? Have you expressed dependence upon him for your life? Trust in him with your life. Have you turned from yourself, your sin, your ways, trusted in Jesus as savior of your life, Lord of your life? And if not, I want to urge you to do that today because this is where contentment starts. So will you bow your heads with me here in this room, wherever you might be, just all the places we're gathered right now, just let's bow our heads and just between you and God, I ask you right now, like, is Jesus your life If the answer to that question is not a resounding yes, then I invite you just to pray right now to God, your creator. Say, God, I know I have asserted my independence from you. I have turned from you to my own ways. But in this moment, I confess my dependence upon you. I need you for breath and I need you to save me from my sins. And I believe that Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for my sins and today I trust in you, Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord. Oh, Jesus, we praise you for making reconciliation possible for restoring relationship to you, oh God, that we might experience a supernatural circumstance transcending peace and gentleness and joy and strength. So we pray, help us, or we want to be able to say, I honestly, 
Not just using spiritual jargon. Like we want to say authentically in the depth of our hearts, this pandemic lasts however long we are content. If this or that circumstance that we're facing right now in our lives doesn't change, we are content. We're not like children crying or complaining in this way or that way. If only this changes, then we will be content. We say, God, give us grace, give us faith to say, regardless of the circumstance, we trust you. Even as we do, we cry out to you, express longings to you. We lay our hearts and our lives before you. We plead for your help in this way or that way. And as we do that, we say, Jesus, you are our strength. Jesus, you are our joy. Jesus, you are our peace. Jesus, you are our gentleness. You are everything we need. Even as we sang earlier, we love you. We lay our lives before you and we praise you that we can do all things through you, in you. We can face all things through you, in you. God, teach us this secret, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Radical with David Platt podcast. That's all for today's episode, but join us next week for The Secret of Contentment, part two from Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 13. And if you would like to find more resources on today's topic, like the person and identity of Christ, fear and anxiety, faith, hope and perseverance, you can do that at Radical.net. And while you're there, don't forget to download the free discussion questions that accompany every sermon. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us there at Radical.net.